Okay, so in just three, two... Are we starting? Yeah. <laughs> Why does that I'm make really me sorry. I'm, I get really confused. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the... I'm really sorry. ...the Christmas Carol cast. It's not... All right. <laughs> it, which sorry. is us sort of uh, pushing the... Christmas agenda. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the very frail sort of jokes that we have that tie our podcasts together to the limit... So if you hear mm. a loud snap and get a nosebleed, it's because uh, of this podcast. Oh dear. Um, Christmas Carol cast, because today we're going to be discussing games past, present and future. future. Okay, so yeah, and this was your idea for this. Which yeah, it was. Makes sense. So here's, here's my idea for what we're going to do. Okay. First off, we're going to do this in reverse order to Christmas Carol, because we're alternative like that. We're going to talk about games future first, which is the most exciting stuff in our review pile that I'm looking forward to us covering. All right. Then we okay. move on to games of Christmas present, which is present. all the stuff we've been playing recently that we haven't had time to talk about on the site. No, we haven't. So that's going to be a few things. That's a whole... Honestly, it's a bunch. Um, and then games of Christmas past is something a bit special we're doing in January. Ooh, that will reveal. <laughs> ah. at the end. I'm trying to make this sound exciting. I think I've no, succeeded. It is. I think it's. I think it's a good concept of uh, having a concept and then some things. Should we wake good. everybody up by talking about our first game on the list, which is a game of alien, which of which we'll be reviewing in the future. Yes, which is a game of alien tentacle sex. Now you don't know anything Give me about that list. <laughs> you don't know anything about consentical, do you, Paul? This is good. Here's the thing. You're going to ask me the question. Is quest- this written on the back of one of your house bills? Yes, it is. What's uh, it a bill for? Uh, it's a bill for internet, which is ironic because we add to the internet. So if anything, they should be paying us. That's a really good point. Uh, Consentical is designed by... It's a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> Consentical is designed by... Sorry. Uh, it's designed by a uh, game designer in New York by the name of Naomi Clark. She's I've a- heard of Naomi Clark. She's good. She's a friend of mine. And certainly when I describe this game to you, you'll realize immediately, A, why she's my friend, and B, why I think she's uh, interesting as a game designer goes. So Consentical is a card game. Two-player card game we'll be reviewing in the future, which is... As the name implies, a game about consenting sex between a girl who has a name in the in the game that I can't remember and um, and a tentacle alien creature. And what you're trying to do in playing cards is you each have an agenda that you are trying to get out of this kind of... For the people at home, Paul is looking around the room and trying not to make eye contact with me. Um, and again, this is also us pushing our Englishness to the very limits because we don't talk about sex or have sex. That's uh, English fact for you mm. so what you're gonna so, so you're an alien tentacle creature Paul uh, in the game mm-hmm. and you're gonna get a card maybe at the start of the game saying what what you want to get out of this encounter maybe you kind of want to sort of I remember one of the cards being kind of post wrestling match locker room sweaty thing so you're you're gonna want to do a lot of sort of enveloping in your tentacles before you get excited and the game is kind of about reaching by playing cards sort of gently amping up a sexual atmosphere and reaching a kind of um, sexual denouement in the middle hopefully you know you'll have both got what you want maybe the other person won't have got what they want though but uh, I, I should stress and use fairly base language <clears throat> this is not a game that espouses uh, rape uh, alien or otherwise it is no, about given by the, the name it's a game about sex which is in and of itself extremely rare within video games and we love to see anything that explores kind of unknown territory and this is video doing games it, or board games yeah video games or board games and this is doing it with sex and it's doing it with alien sex so as you can imagine I'm very excited also has some some of the most gorgeous illustrations which you wouldn't expect giving it's a that but, 
Um, I hadn't thought about the pictures. Yeah, but... so the pictures on the cards are cropped very tightly, so they leave a lot to the imagination, for example. So this is one of the many areas in which this game is clever. So yeah, everybody should look forward to us, me and Paul, having um, sex soon. Uh, should we move on to the next game? On the list? Um, I think this is going off extremely well. I think this that, is. I best. think that's what was on your card. Was you wanted things <laughs> to go off extremely well? That, that sounds interesting. No, it's not covered very often, is it? And there is, I don't know. There's a fair point that if it, if the theme of it is people enjoying themselves and and being consenting informed people, that mm-hmm. that in itself is actually not massively common as a theme. No, it's not. So very so, exciting. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about a game that's a bit gentler. Phew. <laughs> Why don't you tell people roughly what you're roughly like about Cat on Your Head by uh, Planiac, who are a design studio based. It's in a game about a cat London, and like no it. tentacles. No, no sex a- either. Thank heavens. Uh, Uh, It's a crowd-based game. What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, imagine uh, you're in a situation where you might have a crowd and or audience. I think the game says, what, 20 to 1,000 players can play Uh, Cat on Your Head. Which is a fair old thing. It's it's the audience who, at any point, probably during the first year of of the band Queen, would have gone to see them between 20 and 1,000 people. (laughs) So imagine that you're Freddie Mercury, but um, instead of singing an early Queen song, you are... Uh, playing a game with a group of people that involves a cat and a mouse and cheese. Is that the right three things? Yeah, and that's it's basically a, kind of a chase. Mm, so this is a couple of interesting things in this. So what happens is I just skim read the manual now. Um, and we'll probably play it at our next live podcast, which will almost certainly be in London as soon as we can find the time and the dates to arrange that. So yeah. I look forward to that. Um, but so what happens is, so if I say, Paul, <laughs> you're going to be the cat at the start of our game, then right. you have to say the word cat repeatedly. Cat. Go on. Cat. Go on. Cat. There you go. So you're going to be saying... Cat. Get, yeah. You <laughs> now, what happens is if you touch, uh, I believe, a player sort of in front anyone? of... The, anyone? Brendan? Close to, if, you, if Brendan's next to you, yes. If you touch Brendan, and I'll be Brendan, I, I am Brendan. And you, so, touch, so say cat and then... Brendan, you're a pirate. Cat. Cat. So that, and as you touch me, I start saying cat, 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 because the cat is now on my head. Mm. The purpose of the game is for the cat to chase down the mouse. And so if the cat ever passed, if the person who has the cat on their head touches the player with the mouse on their head, who is moving around using the same rules with players shouting, mouse, mouse, on the other side of the room, then uh, the cat wins. And the interesting thing about this that I've, the two things I realized that are interesting. First off, this is a game with no actual teams, you know? No, it's just kind of like tag. Yeah, but uh, the second thing this game I I then realized is that that's not a problem. Because if you're in a crowd and there's energy and you've got a cat on your head, you want the cat to chase down the mouse. Whereas if you've got a mouse and you've got the word cat, cat, cat coming closer and closer towards you, being shouted by different people, then you're going to want to run away. Yeah. And so then the way the cheese is involved is you have some yellow balloons in the crowd and the, the mouse has to reach the cheese and eat all pieces of cheese before being caught. But then, hang on, so here's what you don't know. I'm going to go and get the manual now and you're going to find out at the back of the page, at the back of it, how like two rooms in a broom there are a lot of different roles. So I'm just going over the room here. This is actually news to me because I've also skim read uh, stuff about it online but I didn't know anything about it. Oh, well, why don't you just read aloud? Because obviously you can look up uh, the, the site for the game right now. Oh, yes, and if you're interested in this, you can buy it. That will be reviewing it. So another page. Another page. <laughs> Keep going. And then, yeah, just start reading all the things you're seeing here. Fast food, there are timers on the cheese. They pop back up after 20 seconds and the mouse must still eat them all. The person holding the cheese counts down out loud. Yep. 
Catnip, if your game begin if your name game, if your name begins with C, for example Brendan, you're a catnip. If the cat lands on you, slowly and blissfully repeat cat four times, giving the mouse time to get away. <laughs> the truck. Players clear a central gap and this becomes a, a quotation marks road. One player physically patrols by walking up and down the fixed fix pace at a fixed pace. Oh my god. Truck <laughs> or making truck sounds. I'm going to do this. They cannot speed up or slow down. If they catch the cat or the mouse by the side of the corridor or jumping across it, the truck wins. Your role is to run people over. <laughs> so there's, there's a ton of these. and uh, About ten? There's an owl running around the edge of the crowd. There's a hunter who's walking around the crowd going... Hunter, 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 trying to hunt down the cat. There's literally an elephant in the room. So, yeah, isn't that an interesting game? There's also black balloons that sort of count as mouse holes they can hide in. And we should also stress that the manual for this interesting. is like a comic book and it's one of the prettiest things we've seen in a long time. It seems quite well written and quite well laid out as yeah, well. Like you could probably read that and immediately start playing. You could read it and have fun just reading it. So, uh, yeah, initial impressions, extremely strong for... Uh, Cat on your head. Definitely on your head. Definitely something worth playing yeah, at a, some kind of a live get together uh, because you need the you need a crowd. You need a group of people who are going to be a bit silly. Yeah, you do. It's going to uh, be good. So, meanwhile, here's a game. So that's a game we probably should play. A game I'm still wondering whether we should play. Okay, I mentioned it in the news today. Is Iron and Ale. So you, uh, I don't know this. This is fine. So here's what this is. I'm gonna what? One second. I'm gonna wander. Ooh, I'm going across the room again. Paul, you fill in the fill in the dead air. All right. What shall I do? You should talk to them. Okay, I'm All back. Right. So I don't think they noticed. Here's Iron Nail. Take it in your hands. That, those are like dwarves. What we've got here is a drinking game, and I mean an actual drinking game, and you're all sort of dwarves at a mead hall, and it's a touch of board games that we review, you know, with resource management and card play and challenges and all these kinds of things, but with all of the elements of a drinking game pulled in. So, for example, on your turn, you might draw a, jan- a challenge card, which is you might drop in front of another player, and you might actually have to slap them or punch them in the face for real. You, they might have to down their drinks. All of these traditional uh, American drinking game things. Oh, yeah, get the cards out of the box. Oh, sorry. So we've got uh, an elven lift here. This is the card I'm holding. Each dwarven lord uses their pinky fingers to lift the table. First to drop the table, loses honor and drinks. Uh, challenge, wood elf handshake. Challenge another dwarven lord to a thumb wrestling match. What have you found there, Paul? Uh, close your eyes. What's I'll the name of the card? It's just... I'll, I'll read out what it says first. Okay. Close your eyes. Other dwarven lords choose a lord for you to smell. <laughs> yes, correctly, and you gain honour, otherwise you drink. It's called Dwarven Scent. <laughs> so you just have to sniff some... Correctly sniff somebody. Yeah, this is... It's just a whole, you know, fun game, but like... Belching a, contest. Belching contest. See, now... Obviously, if we did a... I said in the news this week that if we did a Let's Play of this, it could be the best thing we've ever filmed. It could also be the worst <laughs> thing we've ever filmed, and it could also be the last thing we it ever filmed. It could film. be a thing that you, you go into and you think this is a tremendously good idea. Film it, you have fun, and then we lock it in a vault. <laughs> Never to be shown. See, yeah, and again, seeing us drunk is something I think a lot of people they think they want to see. But I don't know if anyone wants to see, you know, Matt drunkenly punching Brendan and like tears welling up in Brendan. Maybe that's the best video ever. I don't know. Christmas video. Anyway, the annoying thing is, you know, I thought maybe this is a game we could sort of forget about and it would gather dust in our review part and I wouldn't tell anyone. But the expansion's on Kickstarter now, so it's not, seems to be sort of gathering steam. Oh dear. 
Gathering ale. Gathering. Mm, well, it exists. It's in the world. We, we've mentioned it now. We can't take that back. Do we, does that mean we have to do the video? We probably have to do something with it or hire <laughs> other people and video them. I don't know. Mm. Is this a thing where we can sort of get other people to remotely do it for us? Yeah. Just and take, be the, take the donations crew. money and pay people to... Uh, tell you what, you should take this to Board Game Geek Con and make the Board With Life crew uh, sort of slap and punch each other. That in a number of ways sounds like a not bad idea great let's move on to the next particularly game. as some of them don't drink so the, the moment that I force them to drink <laughs> the that sounds on, so mean the grin you on Paul's never force face people to drink when he said force them to drink I mean I feel like even if you had really sugary drink no I don't do I was going to say caffeine and sugar and sweets and we'll just watch them get really excited like 12 year olds that works. Uh, okay, great. Um, cool. Well, this has been a <laughs> successful run-through of our most exciting games. It's like 2015 is going to be the best year for Shot of It Down ever. It's only the most drunken. Um, and the most full of consensual tentacle sex. And dwarves. And finally... And on cats our, on heads. On our sort of... A mega game that combines them all. Dwarf, cat on head sex. We should get in touch with the UK Mega Game Society and... It's like, all this World War One stuff you're doing. No, you're yeah, doing it wrong. You just need dwarf... Oh, imagine if the mega game people did, like, a recreation of a dwarven mead hall. Like, exactly what Iron and Ale is doing, but, like, almost like a sort of murder mystery dinner party where you have a hundred people and you all play dwarves, but some of the dwarves are, like, trying to assassinate the king. and That could work really well. And then just just sort of combine this game with a mega game. That could be amazing. And also combine it with two rooms and a boom. Yes, because one, one of the dwarves, dwarves is the president. Will blow up. One of the dwarves is the tentacle. One of the dwarves is uh, the cheese. Oh, man. One of the dwarves is the truck. See, when people ask you, why, when is Shut Up and Sit Down going to design a game? I'm in two minds now, because my answer always used to be, we could never design a game. We'd never be good enough. But maybe we're denying the world all these brilliant ideas. Maybe we should just take donations money and give a designer two grand to just do, do, this. do exactly this. Do this. And dwarves caverna. It could all be a caverna expansion. It could. Uh, and finally, um, sorry, yeah, uh, the, the 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 another game that we are perhaps a bit hesitant about playing, but for very different reasons. Somehow, someone I don't know who sent it to us, but we now have a copy of Vlada Fatil's Prophecy. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> which looks a bit like Talisman in a way that you walk around a board and you there are cards. Yep. Decks of monsters. Well, Paul, why don't you describe the board game institution that is Talisman, then we'll describe what Prophecy is. Well, Talisman is a game yep. that's kind of like Purgatory or Dante, <laughs> Dante's vision of hell, that there are multiple circles and you can never get out of them, and it goes on forever. Yeah, imagine playing something, a roll-and-move game along the lines of Monopoly, where you reach a space and you yes. draw a card and there's an that's orc. That's a really good analogy. But instead of the game ending, you just go into another concentric circle slightly deeper. It's roll and move fantasy adventure where you walk around a board, you draw cards, you fight monsters. Over time you gain gold and experience and items, but it's extremely random in, in terms of like you might not even be able to land on the space you want to for ages because you're rolling and moving. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you just meet monsters that you can't clobber or you, or you do and you just paste over them over and over. <laughs> and because of that, it tends to have a very long play time. You try and work your way to the center of the board to uh, complete a challenge in the middle. I think there's about four editions now. I don't know if it's the case in the current edition, but there was an edition where you could, if you were the first player to get to the middle, to fulfill the win conditions. Oh, yeah, you spammed lightning bolts at everybody else, right? Um, well, there's one... That in one of the editions, you could just die if you got if you finished the game before oh, yeah. other people. It would just say, actually, you, you're dead. <laughs> Start again. 
Um, and all the expansions for it just make it bigger and they add more stuff. Yeah, and which for me is very much being... Like, you know, at the end of Braveheart where he's attached to horses and he's yes. pulled in different directions. Yes. So in one direction, you've got Talisman pulling me. I'm being pulled away from Talisman because it's bad. But in the other, it has the most awesome expansions. And I'm, oh, I'm no. obsessed with expansions. But expansions that are like L-shaped sort of Tetris extension board which then you clip onto the existing board so you've got like an eight foot by six foot board fuck yeah and i think now you've got three-dimensional stuff you put on it and but it goes on for so long it's not that clever and there's now a warhammer 40k version called relic called relic which is no same yeah although relic does at least have the expansion coming if it's not already out which (sighs) allows some people to play as antagonists so you have a bit more sort of crunch there so i feel so tired talking about it is the thing you do look like you've aged so now vlada havato is probably i still think paul and my's favorite designer he's really good um yeah probably yeah so it turns out before paul and i knew him before paul and i were um you know sort of we caught his eye across the dwarven mead hall um, he designed a game, I think that only saw, initially at least, only saw an Eastern European release, called Prophecy, which is Vlada Fartil doing a fantasy questing roll and move game. Seems similar, doesn't it? Along the lines of Talisman, and now we have it, and it's like, nothing can go well, it's like Aliens versus Predator, if we play that box, whoever wins, we lose, because if it's good, then, you know, Vlada has made the concept of Talisman better and you and I have to eat our, you know, designer hats. Probably yeah. have to retire, frankly. But if it's bad, then it means Vlada's designed a terrible game. And then we're sad. Yeah. And it doesn't look amazing, though, does it? I mean, pedestal. The, the, conceptually, it doesn't look amazing. Art-wise, it Art-wise, doesn't look it is, amazing. Well, no, hang on, you say that. You were looking through the decks of the cards and laughing out loud at how sort of slightly awful some of the illustrations and were. And then just text that's just like, well, this does this. And it's oh, yeah. like nothing interesting. It's just a monster that you hit and it drops Large some gold. Large to attack. If you punch it, it will squirt out a gold coin. Yeah, and, it, it, and decks and decks of this stuff. And I was... Going, oh no. It would be oh, awful no. if um, there happened to be a small localized fire in my flat that burned Prophecy before we could play it. That'd be awful. What have you so been playing what, recent? What have you. What have, I was. No, I was going to say, what should we do with it? Should <laughs> it just sit there? No, I don't know. We probably have to play it. We could. What if the review was like a live playthrough and we play it and then we kind of slowly, grudgingly come to whatever conclusion that we do? I don't know. Sorry, I, that was me thinking, but also dying inside. Uh, so let's let's move on to some games that have made us feel alive. Then, so that I was love our, games. That was our future vision of the. I love the future of Christmas future. I hate Christmas. Um, but now we'll move on to some stuff we've actually been playing. Starting with, let's so like actual big games that we'll give you your impressions of, and we'll say I was impressed or anti-pressed. Anti-pressed. So you played a big box game while you were in Canada, didn't you? you played, I did. You played Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall. That's my What's phone. What's that noise? That's my phone. Is that like an intruder alarm? Uh, yes, it means that Brendan has escaped the perimeter and the dogs will be uh, on him soon. That's right. It's third time this week. Um, yeah, I played Tamani Hall, which is a game about... Uh, it's kind of... Well, we played El Grande ages back, didn't we? And that's a game about basically controlling Spain. Yes. You have certain coloured cubes and you try and cover Spain in them and then you try and say things like, oh, I've got this many people in 
Uh, you know, yeah, Barcelona. El, El Grande or... is kind of just a disgustingly robust and strong area control game. Yeah. Dropping cubes around Spain. It's a great time. I love it. I still yes. love it. Yes. And mm-hmm. it's it's very much about uh, can I outnumber people here or shall I spread myself like butter or shall I concentrate myself like a lump of jam? Uh, it's very exciting, isn't it? Because, you know, if if you put three cubes in a place and you've go, I've got it, and then someone puts three cubes, you look at them across the table and you go, you get oh, angry. you rap scallion. You rap, and that's meanwhile, a Spanish word. Meanwhile, uh, yeah, it is. And meanwhile, players three and four who aren't involved in this particular conflict are giggling to themselves because they are watching two players expend their resources. Sat, sat there in the corner going, cat, cat, mouse, mouse. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, it's it's a similar kind of mechanic to that. You have uh, New York, which is a city in America, and mm-hmm. you have um, immigrants, <laughs> which are people who come from outside America. Okay. Um, and they might be Italian or German or, or English uh, or Irish, I think, with the four nationalities. And the idea is you want to control districts of New York by filling them with people who will vote for you or nationalities that are sympathetic to you, which the two are kind of similar. Okay, so does that mean your particular politician... So you're all politicians. You're all right? politicians. So does that mean your politician has a, uh, you know, a, what's the word, a... Um a nationality? nationality? Not really, no. You just win favours with certain nationalities by uh, biasing your way towards them. Um, and you also just win voting influence in areas by just concentrating very hard in those areas okay. by dropping uh, Wait, hang on. agents so, in. So agents I, that <laughs> make people vote. Wow, that's sinister. And then I think you have, uh, you have a few turns where this happens. I think every four turns there's a round of voting and people go, All right, well, you know, this, this year this district looks like... It's going to vote for this coloured player because they've had a lot of influence there or it's full of a lot of Italian-Americans who happen to like them and that weighs things in their favour. Wait, talk me through this. I'm a German immigrant. Why do I like your candidate more than other people? Probably because um, I've been... I don't know. Is it it doesn't like, really... Is there a chart on the board and you just move up and down depending on oh, who yeah. likes you the most? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly abstract, but it's a thing where you, uh, yeah, you create influence by um, either winning the favour of certain groups of immigrants or by just piling your agents into a particular place. Hmm. So it's like, so it's area control with your agents, but also you're kind of dealing with a kind of neutral population of sort of yeah. Dutch and Germans who are also filling the board. Yeah, and if you uh the thing is there's always a certain amount of uh tokens of different nationalities ready to come onto the board. Mm. So if you know that a certain nationality is more biased towards you then you try and grab those and you try and uh, give those people a place to live somewhere where you think that they're going to vote for you and be nice to you. Well, that sounds, you know, really interesting and strong. It's quite good. Yeah, you're not, you don't seem... I'm not picking up on the sort of buzz that... I, well, I liked it. I'm not a huge... I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of Eurogames, but I had fun playing it. I would play it again. And I found it easy to play and fun. And I had a good time. Hmm. Well, um, so the main thing I know about Tammany Hall, which is also waiting in our review pile, by the way, um, is that it was out of print for something like eight years and as such developed this kind of mythological status within the board game yeah. community. You know, and then when this, when the Kickstarter or whatever it is, the, the new edition came out... This, Which was about a year ago? Yeah, about a year ago. Um, it, it, suddenly everyone was going, year oh my half. God, this game is available again. year and a half. But now it seems like, yeah, you're telling me that actually it was, you know, a sort of a lot of hype that came from not very much um, availability of the product. Uh, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if I said that. I had a good time. I think it's a good game, and I, it was kind of Eurogamey, and I've been going away from Eurogames, but I liked it because it wasn't too complex, mm. and there, I understood the systems that were behind it, and there's, there's a very cool thing where at the end of each term, 
you know, whoever's got the most votes becomes mayor. But then as mayor, they give out certain roles to everyone else around the table. Oh, really? Every role gives you an advantage except actually being the mayor. Ah, but so, you still get to give it up. Does that mean you can negotiate with, ple- with people? You could try and negotiate with people. <laughs> and they might do... Uh, it's a game that definitely has room for people to have arguments and personal rivalries and make deals that are entirely not, you know, anything that you have to deliver on afterwards. Oh, that's great. But yeah, it was good. Uh, I It made me think a lot of El Grande, maybe a little bit of Rattus, which I guess is a similar mm. kind of thing where you... you you're basically trying to influence bits of Europe uh, and make people die. poisonous rats around, yeah. Um, and I had fun with it. And I, it was, I think some people might want it to be a more complex game and maybe have maybe another mechanical system in there. Mm-hmm. I didn't because I just sat down and my first game, I played it and I understood it. And I had quite good fun. Mm. I think. Um, I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's good. And I think if you certainly if you like El Grande and Rattus or New York, or <laughs> German Americans or English Americans or uh, meeples with hats, uh, it's to put on your radar. That's... But I, you're probably right that it, it being missing for a while might have boosted its status further. I think there's something really interesting that's happened, kind of within Shut Up and Sit Down, or maybe. I... It's difficult to tell the sort of tone of the entire entire board game industry, but I think when you and I started, we were so into a lot of, you know, what are called Euro games, these games that don't have much conflict but have an awful lot of very complicated moving pieces, so much yeah. so that they're often, the mechanics function like clockwork. Games like Agricola or Tolkien or Russian Railroads, but, yes. you know, back then, I think these games were kind of A, new, and B, slightly simpler, and we're kind of... I have this sense that you and I are so fatigued of this now because it's not just that the games... I mean, the games are getting better, but they're also getting heavier and using, for example, the worker placement that was in Agricola and Stone Age where you send people to a board and get get results. Now, because that's a genre, we have worker placement and then there's this other mechanic slathered on top. We have area control with more mechanics bunched on top because it's kind of... That's how you make a lot of the people who are into these complicated things excited about buying another one. Because guess what? It's got even crunchier mechanics. But you and I just seem to be really quite tired of this and you, stuff now. You, you feel that's not necessary. You wouldn't need to. You wouldn't feel it's that useful to have another extra thing. For, hey, let's have a deck building. I don't know. Placement. What I can say, though, is that the games that seem to be exciting me these days are ones that are entirely new or relatively simple. Uh... It's, it, it's And it's impossible to say whether that's me as talking as a board gamer or as somebody who has to play five board games a week and it feels a sense of intense relief when I open a book and I open a manual and so, okay, there's only three pages of rules and also they're all new rules I've never seen before. Yeah. Like, that seems to be what excites yeah. me. And like I say, I can't tell whether this is something within board gaming where Euro games are actually becoming stale or whether it's me talking as a board game reviewer who actually just quite likes whose job is made easier when a game is simple and fresh i think that makes total sense though because if i think over the last six months or more the games that i've enjoyed the most have been some of the kind of simpler ones that have not felt less intelligent but two rooms and a boom architect architect is just hitting people with an inflatable thing but you're trying to build a complex diagram yeah it's, it's not an easy game i remember there was a comment on the our russian railroads review when me and matt reviewed that which is yeah. really heavy well not even that heavy but a Moderate fairly heavy. heavy complicated and certainly fairly tough euro game about constructing russian railways and using a central board and getting workers and different sort of materials of railroads and putting them all on a central board 
And there was a comment saying, oh, well, you know, what was it? It's nice to see shut up and sit down leaving their comfort zone, but... And the subtext was, but you guys really don't know what you're talking about. It's like, dude, we have reviewed Stefan Feld games and worker placement games since Shut Up and Sit Down started. We're just getting tired of them. And maybe yeah. we'll have to spearhead that kind of charge. And the thing is, I, I keep thinking back to Castles of Burgundy and how I'm still happy with that. And that's not that complicated. It, it's a moderate level of... Complexity For the people at home, Castles of Burgundy is a Steffen Feld uh, game which involves players rolling dice and then using those dice to claim uh, tiles, yes. which they then put on their French estate. But it's sheep. Ra- sheep, and your sheep get combo bonuses if you put the next oh to more God, sheep. Oh, God, yeah, you and, do. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's fairly simple for what it is. And also it has basically two mechanics going on in the whole thing of placing dice and then placing tiles without a good, like much around the periphery to make things complicated. Anyway, that's some stuff bubbling over in our head. Let's talk about yeah. some more exciting new games. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what I played that is also kind of uh, a dramatic new release. I played Warhammer Conquest. Oh, so all right. What, How was that? That's uh, <laughs> Space Warhammer, isn't it? it Which is, is Warhammer space. in the future. Warhammer 40,000. 40,000 40, years away. into the future. So far into the future that humans have forgotten how to use the advanced technology they once did. But they can still play cards. They can still play cards. So, um, yes, this is Fantasy Flight's new living card game. um, And that means it's arrived with a lot of anticipation because it's such a hot theme as well. Because a lot Mm. of people do like that Warhammer 40,000 license that Fantasy Flight own temporarily, I will add. Um, So, yeah, what you do is you have your deck of cards. You pick up Warhammer Faction, maybe your Space Marines, and I'm Orcs. And then you put planets out. And it does have a very intriguing central mechanic that um, is quite nice. So... Uh, a bit like Magic the Gathering, you have some resources, or Pathstone if you've played that, you have resources every turn, and then you're going to spend those resources to put units down, like a battalion of space marines, or I put down a big oh, yeah. robot yeah. hawk. But there are planets on the table, planet cards, and these are the planets you fight over. So unlike Magic where you drop a monster and that just monster is your monster and it fights the other guy, you have to choose where you are sending that unit, because yeah. a unit on one planet is, you know, stuck there for the most part. Um, and then what happens is every turn, starting from planet one and working your way up, you fight for control of a planet, which kind of puts it out of the game, and then you reveal a new planet. And the planets all have either a red, a green, or blue symbol in some combination, and the first player to three red or three green or three blue symbols wins. So it's kind of area control E, sort of. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and the central mechanic and the central crunch of it that is getting people playing mostly is this thing of, um, let's say you deploy a fairly small space marine to the planet we're fighting over this round, and I deploy a bigger orc, and then you have to make a decision because it's like, are you really going to fight me here? Are you going to force me to commit, which is done with a dial, my warlord and all of my big units there because I think you're really going to you know, fight me there? Or do you want to dis- sort of bluff that and then dispatch a bunch of tiny what are called weenie cards like smaller cheaper cards to all the other planets we're not fighting over because that'll give you their resources for the round so you kind of you pick battles it is a game of picking battles and bluffing where you're going Um, and I didn't like it at all um, okay. And I know that uh, I'm not the biggest living card game fan. I remember a lot of people are still getting a fair bit of fun out of the Star Wars living card game, which I didn't like either. Mm. Of course, I am, as everybody knows at this point, obsessed with Netrunner, which is, I think, it, it is, I know it's Fantasy Flight's best selling living card game. I absolutely think it's the best, designed by Richard Garfield in the 90s and then 
republish my Fantasy Flight now. Um, but uh, despite me loving Netrunner, I did not love Conquest. And a lot of it yeah. felt like... Netrunner is so good because Richard Garfield made a card game which was about, you know, getting, doing clever plays with the cards in your hand. And it managed to escape what was bad about Magic, which is you have cards in your hand, you don't really care what your opponent's holding, you're going to do fairly obvious moves to do with, oh, I've got these monsters and I'm going to play them and I'm going to do what yeah. I can with them. A lot more of the game is in the deck construction versus how you play and versus how your opponent is playing. Um, and Warhammer Conquest, I felt, fell into a lot of those holes, you know, like, I'm just going to try and get a load of units. And also then, once I have a lot of units, it has the same problem as Magic the Gathering, which is about 80 or 90% of the way through the game, I just have more units than you, and I'm going to yes. snowball. Because... It's just a, the, the end game is momentum. Yes, and so it has a really weak end game versus... And obviously, I'm going to keep referring to this, but versus Netrunner, where the games are always down to the wire, and about 90% of games of Netrunner, when the person scores the final agenda that lets them win, the other player will slam the table and go, "Oh, if I had one more turn, or I could have." I There's so a lot nearly of room you. for surprise in Netrunner, and there is room for surprise and improvisation. There is room for surprise in Conquest, which is great. And the coolest mechanic I've seen in it is the ability to essentially uh, drop a card at a planet and wipe it. So if your opponent commits too heavily to one planet, you might be holding one card which just essentially resets that planet and destroys all the opponents. You don't want to commit too much. It is a yeah. clever game. I would never say it's not. But as to whether it's fun, I think you have to be into living card games and card games in general mm. and not just into games or into the Warhammer universe, which I'm not because I'm not. <laughs> uh, I've been very overexposed to it in yeah. my life. And it's it's funny because some people are overexposed to Warhammer. Say radiation, you know. You and I were sort of overexposed to it as children and now are weak and frail. But some people are overexposed to it and become Warhammer-loving superheroes long into yeah. their adult life. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a kind of fetishistic thing. But no, I don't want to see people with spikes on their shoulders fighting other people with enormous shoulder pads. It, there's no need. No, not anymore. Not, any, not anymore. I, I loved shoulder pads so much when I was a kid. It's nice when it comes and goes, but I think also permanent exposure to that kind of thing dulls you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so we've got a couple of... Tammany Hall, good. Warmer Conquest, less liked. Yeah. We got on this? Did what? you put Kingdom Builder on this list? Oh, I did, but only because I played it recently and I still like it. Uh, well, okay. Actually, the only interesting thing is... we it's fine. <laughs> we reviewed Kingdom Builder a while back and I do quite like it and Paul says it's kind of fine. Um, but I had an interesting thing where some uh, friends were over and I got it off the shelf and I'm like, oh, I never get the chance to play Kingdom Builder. And they'd, uh, they'd not played it before. Mm -hmm. And I read the manual, remembered the rules and set it up. And within the first couple of turns of the games, I was filled with dread for two reasons. Well, for one reason, uh, which is that it didn't seem to be as fun as I remembered it. And that's horrifying for two reasons, because first off, now I've got friends in my house and they're playing a game that none of us are enjoying. That's interesting. And also, oh no, did I recommend this game and now I don't like it anymore, That, which is an awful thing to realise as a board game critic. But no, by turn four we were having a great time, and by the end of the game we all wanted to play it again. What's a, next a on the A smile list? creeps across Paul's face. Why don't you pick something from here for us to talk about? Well, hmm. I don't want to... Nah, hmm. Okay, well you've put Escape Aliens, which I assume oh, well that, is that Escape is, from the Aliens in Outer Space. Escape, well, yeah, I, I kind of scribbled that down. 
That same night, we also played Escape from the Aliens and Outer Space, and it was also still good. Really good. Did anyone accidentally eat their friend? No, because there were three of us, So, and then we, we were playing with one alien and two survivors, so the aliens could not accidentally eat the other aliens. Oh. But I did get eaten extremely early and just threw my pencil across the room and uh, had a big grin on my face. The happiest I've ever felt being eaten by an alien. I played Istanbul, which has no 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 aliens, um, and there's no clean segue from Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space to, to Istanbul. I'm to sorry, there is a market trading game. Right, well, this is a new market trading game. Yeah, it is, and it's, it's not really about trading, is it? It's about no, it's about taking. Taking. Because basically, you have uh, what's the most interesting core mechanic? Probably the fact that you have a pile of tokens that represent. This is um, a big box sort of another Euro game, right? A very big box Euro game. A very heavy mechanical, thoughtful. Moderately heavy, yeah. Uh, not too heavy rules wise, but definitely heavy in terms of there's a lot of different things going on, and you can the game could slow down a lot if you want to sit down and very carefully analyse all of your moves so far it's reminding me of um, Five Tribes which we reviewed recently Five Tribes oh yeah the same Middle Eastern theme the same Paul not liking it because it's just there's so much to think about yeah a bit like that Uh, I liked it more than Five Tribes okay Uh, I wouldn't recommend it though okay Um, but the I mean the, the kind of the interesting core mechanic is you lay out I think 16 tiles that all represent different parts of a market or sort of town square. Sounds good so far. They include like a fountain and a prison Ooh. that you have a relative in for no apparent reason. <laughs> Just have a relative in a prison for some reason. Um, and places like a, you know, a tea house and a place where you can buy silk and a post office. This sounds amazing, Paul. This sounds you, cozy. Other and... people might like it a lot more. So, you know, I want to try and give it the time of day. But you have, you have a stack of uh, disc tokens in your colour. And as you move, you start on the fountain, as you move around, you drop one behind you and you leave a kind of a trail behind you uh, as you move from space to space. Okay. And once you've run out of these and you can't leave a trail, you can't go any further. So you have to sort of reverse, either reverse Pac-Man your way oh, elsewhere. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Or collect all the tokens and then uh, make a different move in a different pattern. And the thing is, you can sort of, uh, you can occupy places that other people might want to use. It makes it more difficult can for other players to use them. So- other players can cross your tokens, but they can't be in the space where you are in. I think they need to pay... I'm trying to remember. I think they need to pay money to use uh, something in an area that you've already used yourself. Wow. And money gets tight. So, yeah, I saw a preview of this game. You're, the object is to collect rubies, right? There's a Ultimately few different ways rubies. to do that. Yeah, and there are things like if you just get lots of money by going to the tea house and, I think, gambling, then you can buy rubies. Um, if you manage to collect other things like, I think, silks and crates of goods, you can trade those for rubies. But all everything you need to do, you have to go somewhere to do it. And going somewhere and pushing your way through the crowds of Istanbul uh, is part of the challenge. Oh, is it like you have to return to the fountain to refresh yourself? Yes, oh, because the fountain's refreshing. And also your relative keeps returning to prison. <laughs> and none, this is never explained. You just have someone who is in prison. And you can go there and get them out and they can do like one thing for you and then they're just back in prison again. <laughs> Except it's useful if they get sent back to prison because then you can let them out. I don't think you can use them again until they've gone. It makes no... Okay. I'm very confused. So you kind of post bail and then they work for you for a day and then immediately try shoplifting again. It doesn't really sound like a relative. It basically sounds like something else. <laughs> like a, you know, a hired hand or just forced labour. Um, 
I do wonder if that tile was originally a slave market and then yeah. they went and someone and then, in the company went, you know what? That's, we can't do that. That's not sensitive. Uh, it, uh, fair enough. It could be <laughs> that. Uh, but it's, there's a lot to think about because navigation is a challenge. Collecting all the right resources in the right combination is a challenge. You go to a place and you drop all those resources off to buy something. And then the way the rubies are laid out on the board... Uh, you take a ruby away and then the next ruby along that track of stuff on that particular tile is more expensive than the last one. Hmm. So the more rubies they get snapped up, the harder it is to get the rest, which doesn't help if you're maybe not in the lead. Uh, but there's a lot to think about. It's very traditional Eurogame in that kind of way that it has a couple of different mechanics of collecting and trading resources. And I had quite a nice time playing it and I thought it was interesting, but I wouldn't play it again, really. I wouldn't recommend it. It was fun and it's not quite my flavour of crisps. Is there a game, and for the people, for our American audience, you do not understand how many flavours of potato chips we have in this country. And that's, that's quite a few, That's yeah. not a joke. We have like a cornucopia of flavours of potato chips. It's the main reason to come here. It is. Uh, that and us. Uh, so is there a game like Istanbul that you'd recommend? Not that I can think of. Okay. You know what's interesting thinking about the slave stuff is I've noticed this happening on Board Game Geek more and more because I got uh, some PhD student wrote in and I was asking essentially why um, why board games often had quite conservative designs, why, you know, mm. like sexy or modern games or games with very uh, sort of 21st century art designs were quite rare. Um, and the answer that I realized is just that the average age of board game players is 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 quite old you know it's and naturally yes. it kind of gravitates towards like more of a right wing less politically correct hobby and that's changing now and it's funny because if you go to the board game geek threads those people who post on board game geek are the same people who've always posted on board game geek so it's things like kind of uh, it's the black meeple in puerto rico oh, yeah. has changed now um it's no longer a, a black laborer who's native to the island um and uh, and you know that's not something that the board, the community of board game like will necessarily talk about or advocate. But the, the hobby is changing around them, despite Board Game Geek being this like central hub. I don't know. Which isn't a bad way for things to be. No, I know. I, I just think it's funny that um, the main hub for discussion within board games, you know, Board Game Geek and to a lesser extent Reddit, is not reflecting what's happening in this hobby. I th- uh, I I think that's interesting, but not necessarily a strange thing because I, I think when things change like that and. There are elements of a community who aren't comfortable with it. They will avoid it and they won't talk about it or they'll, they'll just try and sort of carry on even as things start reshaping themselves around them. They will stick with what they know and what they're used to. If they, if they can't comfortably address it or deal with it, they will keep being themselves and doing their thing. Yeah, sure. And not slagging off Board Game Geek at all because I've met God knows how many members of their community. There are some great people on Board Game Geek. Yeah, and I love Board Game Geek Con last year and Porto this year. But um, but yeah, I think like, and, and you know, even stuff like Consentical, which we got sent, is being misinterpreted by um, the Board Game Geek community. And I don't know. I don't know. It's just there are, I can sort of see two sides forming at work. You know, the sides that yeah. think it's fantastic that um, Plaid Hat Games you know dead of winter has like a card which sort of fosters gay sex more often than not and has a ton of great female characters and the people who don't care about that yeah um no that's that's absolutely a valid point to bring up if if you are on board game geek please don't photo please don't tag photos that have women in them with the tag girl yeah just and, by and the way vote them because, because that's, that's a bit strange it is. and just comments just yeah, then and write weird comments about women on. If you're probably not that person, but they are out there and they exist. They must be out there because some of the most upvoted images on Board Game Geek until recently were of women playing uh, games 
and you or can see just, down their tops. Just uh, <laughs> just come to the Shut Up and Sit Down forums and have quite a nice time. Oh, just quite a nice time. Uh, you also played a game which is probably one of the board games which people see pictures of it and get the most excited about, <sighs> which is Shadow in the Woods. Yeah. Which has a German name, doesn't it? It does have a German name. What's the name? German name, Paul? Uh, I don't understand. Why are you taking your phone out? I thought you were a professional. I think it's Wald, Shatten, Spiel, because Wald would be wood and Spiel would be game and Shatten would be... <laughs> Go on. Uh, wood light? Wood light game? I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's the game... Um, very lucky to play this in Canada with a lovely group of people. It's a game where uh, one person has a candle and plays a sort of a strange abstract representation of death and danger <laughs> moving through the woods, or let's, let's say a, a psycho, and everyone else plays dwarves, or let's say college students, uh, in a wood, and you have to hide behind trees so that as the candle moves past little wooden trees, um, you're not caught in the light of the candle. Hmm. And the candle player uh, rolls a die, moves a certain number of spaces, chooses which direction they're going to go in when they get to a junction. And if they see any dwarves illuminated by their candle, uh, those dwarves are frozen and they can't move again at all until another dwarf can run up to them and touch them. Oh, so the dwarves are all working as a team. They are. Oh, that's great. And then the candle player turns their back and goes away and then the dwarves all sort of sit there and go, I don't know. And try and work out where they're going to run next or how they're going to unfreeze a frozen dwarf because obviously... Uh, the, I should say the ultimate objective of, of the dwarves is just to all gather in one space behind one tree, but that's quite hard because the trees aren't that big. And obviously, the more you glomp together, the worse, the higher the risk is that the candle will just get you all and you're done. You're screwed. <laughs> um, and it works quite well because of the shape of the trees and the layout of the board, meaning that as soon as you move the candle even a few centimeters, all the angles of all the um, shadows of the trees change and then people who were previously really well hidden just suddenly appear or vice versa and the candle can go around the corner and you can suddenly be safe or you can be trapped behind a tree with nowhere to go but the candle player has no idea you're just on the other side of that tree but they do know that their light is either so side does, of the tree can the candle player see the dwarves uh, ideally no because ideally you play it in the pitch dark so wow but yeah, does that mean how the do the dwarf players see the board uh, we did that through the aid of uh, modern smartphone technology. Where oh, so we, they turn on a flashlight all of a sudden. Yeah, we sort of oh. peer at things. Or or you just move your dwarves around and you basically say, I oh, know if I move here, I'm visible. So I have to That's scuttle fantastic. behind from this tree to this tree. God, it reminds me of... Oh, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, you do get a sense of being hunted down as well because the candle very... It's like a big orb of light coming through the woods like some horrible hellish abstract lovecraft monster that's just <laughs> like a will-o-wisp the colour out of space just yes like a will-o-wisp going and then you're just frozen well oh, like man. a John Carpenter synth soundtrack that plays. reminds me of a great horror movie I, I watched I, I binged horror movies all October um, sticking, hey. and uh, Honeymoon is a game is oh, a, I haven't seen that Honeymoon yeah, is a movie you were so talking about this it's a movie that if you enjoy horror movies uh, you should definitely watch because it's quite good um, but don't learn, don't read anything about it before you do. Don't read any reviews. Don't read about what it's about because the best thing about it is just slowly being given pieces of a puzzle and having no idea where it's going. So if you like horror, watch Honeymoon, but don't uh, read about it. And it's kind of the game of the 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 movie of the game that you were just describing. Wow, kind okay. of it has dwarves. Yeah, okay. There's no dwarves in Honeymoon. There's a lot of dwarves in Time Bandits. 
Time Don't watch yeah. Time Bandits. Time Bandits is one of the greatest hungover movies of all. Oh, God, no. It's no. Oh, if I just can't re- deal with Time Bandits. <laughs> I can't deal with it. Okay, um, what else did I play? God, I swear I played something else, but apparently not. Um, so let's move on to one more game that you've played that a lot of our audience do like. So be careful. You're on, a, you're on a frozen lake, Paul. The ice is cracking beneath you. What did you think of Gloom? Gloom was fine. Oh, the ice is buckling. Only yeah, fine. Yeah, only fine. Because the, the thing that I thought was most interesting about Gloom, which is a card game about having a family laid out in front of you, you need to give the, the family the worst time possible and then kill them while they're still sad. <laughs> and then the saddest family uh, wins the game. And what you can do is you can play cards on your own family that make them sadder or play cards on other families that make them happier. Like, you know, they fall in love or or they, they, they are good at something or, you know, or they, you know, they have a terrible time and they embarrass themselves at a party. But let's not forget the nicest thing about Gloom and the thing that almost made me buy it, even though I didn't think it would be my kind of thing because take that kind of card games usually aren't. Um, which is it has translucent plastic cards, right? Exactly. And this is this is the kind of the clever thing about it. You put a card on top of another and it may cover up one bonus, which, you know, you had a plus 15 sadness bonus on a guy because something happened. Place another card on top of that. What kind of thing would happen that. that would be worth plus 15 sadness? Um, I'm trying to remember what any of them were. It's usually like... Uh, something like best friend died or some terrible po- political embarrassment or... Okay a thing happens and all the families themselves are actually incredibly creepy aren't they because you get a set of they're Adam's family type yeah but they're all they all have a link they do like one of them is a family of mad scientists and the any I can't even remember but yeah there's stuff like that in there and the things that happen to them are similar sort of things and uh, you know you lay these uh, tragic comic events on them and then you try and kill them and you lay events on top of other people and the translucent cards all the different bonuses will sometimes overlap so uh, one of them might cancel out another and it's very easy to see how this happens because they will align in such a way that only one will be visible and the rest will be a lovely sort of stack of translucent stuff and, and you're telling a story along the way I guess you'd have to be because you don't, <laughs> you don't need to be it's quite uh, Would you have to be because clever. otherwise there's not much to it? I don't think there's that much to it. I think mechanically it's clever. I think it's kind of fun to play, but I wouldn't buy it and I wouldn't play it a lot. And I don't think it's all that funny in the same way like Munchkin isn't all that funny where you see a card and you go, ah, yeah, look, it's a dwarf with a chainsaw. And then you see it like the 50th time and your mind just... It's that kind of thing. It's it, Everything that's in it that could be funny is... If it is funny, it's funny once. Mm. It's it's fine, and it was an interesting exercise to play. But I wouldn't recommend buying it. I wouldn't buy it. I don't think it has enough. There's something to be said for games that are. I played um, Boss Monster, which was a Kickstarter game, which oh, yeah. uh, which um, uh, Avery McDowdno brought over to my house uh, when uh, she stayed here, and I what was I going to say? Yeah, no, Boss. So it's a Kickstarter game where you. It's and it's that kind of thing. It's a card game which is kind of. Not necessarily funny, but it's certainly gorgeous to look at because you are the boss monster of a level in a world in a video game. And you kind of lay out a level to the left. So the card with your boss monster on depicts it in a sort of end room. Imagine the end of, you know, uh, Super Mario level on this. Oh, yeah. And then as you get cards, you lay them out to the left of the boss, which and so you build an actual level that the player has to run through, which shows, you know, like a room full of harpies or a boudoir with a vampire in it. And um you're trying to arrange different levels that are good against different heroes. And it's certainly one of the, like, the most gorgeous things I've yes. ever played. And I would not want to play it more than once. And I didn't really want to play it more than once. But there's something to be said for games like Gloom or Boss Monster or Munchkin, kind of, if that's your kind of thing, where um, 
you know, it's funny the first time because, hey, guess what? A lot of people who aren't that into this hobby, you know, the ability to have people come over and play one of these games and they go, wow, this is so funny to look at. It doesn't matter if your guests, you know, go away and never play that game ever again, you know, uh, because they've played it once and they've got the most out of it. I, that's I a guess. thing, I guess. I would never buy a game to play just once. I tell you, yeah. That's... I'd never advocate that to anyone either unless mm. they were, you know, Michael Caine or of equal level of sort of richness because that's so uh, and who could be richer than Michael Caine eh? the richest man I can think of right now is Michael Caine uh, I tell you what small box card game I played and this almost slipped my mind but after my Netrunner tournament um, the the bar we play in has a board game sort of library yes people who live in London should absolutely go to uh, Loading Bar aka Scenario Bar in Dalston if they like board games because it's the most board game friendly bar in London but yes. It was a game I hadn't heard of before. I don't even know if you can buy it now, but I hope you can because it's great. And it's called Super Rhino. Oh, yeah. And my friend I've took never this... played that. I've yeah. seen it. Oh, have you? So my friend took it off the shelf I as a joke. I probably saw it in there. Oh, okay. Um, and it turned out it was incredible. Like, really good. Like, one of the best small box card games I've ever played. Kind of. Certainly one of the funniest and lightest. A very, a very good one. Um, yes. So what you do is you, you get a hand of cards, which are all essentially roof tiles. And then... You have a lot of sort of rooms, which are basically cards that are bent. So the game starts with one player essentially taking one of these bent cards and bending it and creating a kind of... Taking two of them so they can make a square, like a vertical square, by putting two L's um, on the floor. And they place a roof on top of that. And they pass to another player who then plays another roof. But every roof you put down has the kind of blueprint, the lines drawn on it of what rooms you're allowed to put on that. So maybe it's a really difficult room because you can only put one L shape or maybe you have to mm-hmm. put them in a kind of double, like a diamond formation or a or a kind of chevron shape. And then you're building upwards and upwards and upwards. But some of the cards are different things, like they reverse the order of play. Um, See, so it's a bit like Jenga in that you're building an increasingly unstable structure and if anyone knocks it over, they lose. Um, but the most important card in it is uh, there's one card which plays that allows you to move Super Rhino. And Super Rhino is a tiny wooden meeple. And all it means is Super Rhino is climbing again. Which is the best line in the manual, by the way. Super Rhino is climbing again! Exclamation mark. Um, and that means the player who, after building their roof, has to pick up Super Rhino and move him up the building from wherever he is. And he might be tucked in really deep in some bedroom on the second floor. You have to reach in, take it without disturbing this literal tower block of cards you've built, and move more the way up to the top of the structure and put him there, adding more uneven weight distribution to this tower that's growing vertically. It's great! And it, it's like the, one of the smartest card games that I've played because it does just use about 50 cards. And yet you're building this gorgeous 3D structure. That's interesting. It. It's funny, you know? It's, it's just really neat. It's great to, like... Jenga's fun and all, but it's every player always just does follows the path of least resistance, yeah. you know? Whereas this is a game where you play a card and you say, all right, you have to do this difficult move, and then you have to put a rhino on top of the structure, and the player pulls it off, and then it lets them feel proud for doing something tougher. And Yeah. Whereas Jenga is kind of like, oh, you did it, you did it, you did it. Oh, you failed. <laughs> whereas this is, oh, he does something tricky, he does something easy. Oh, screw him. Oh, now it's reversed, he has to do it again. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. That's interesting. I'm going to check that out. Super Rhino. I'll absolutely put a link in the podcast description. I'm going to immediately check that out the moment we finish recording this. What a crazy roundup of stuff we've been playing. Should we talk about, then, games of... Present. Pr- Next. Pa- no, past. Because that was present. So now we talk about past. It's the, the thing we're planning oh, yeah. for January, which is technically games of present, games of well, future, are we, but are it's we not. Gonna, do you want to reveal that now or not? Let's reveal it. Let's, let's tentatively float the idea. Let's run up the flagpole and see who climbs up the flagpole after it. 
And the idea is... So, expansions. Espa- well, expansions. Expansions. Expansion January. So here's the thing. I know from running Shut Up It Down last January that board games all try and hit the Christmas rush, and then there tends to be a lot less in January. Yeah. Um, and so what could be cooler, what could be a really nice idea is... Because we've got an increasing pile of expansions. In expansions. Corner. We just use expansion reviews throughout January to revisit games that we've already played. You know, And just looking over there, I can see... You know, the new Trains expansion. Um, There's a Masquerade expansion, an expansion for Ghost Stories, an expansion for Ticket to Ride and Mage Wars. I still have a Dungeon Lords expansion and Dungeon Pets expansion that I've never properly looked at. Well, there you go. So, like, here's the thing. Flutter Games. What if January was just taking all these games we've reviewed, sort of blowing the dust off, saying, we still like them, and (laughs) here's a new expansion. Imagine that, just you and me, blowing dust. <laughs> Revisiting, which is something that people ask us to do sometimes. Do but also, yeah, occasionally. Okay. Or they just ask us to do something that we've already done. Just, <laughs> just would you do this if we've done it? Uh, yeah, that does actually happen. Oh, you should review this that. game, guys. It's a classic. Yeah, we did. Uh. <laughs> I feel really bad now. It's fine. Just if for people at home, you could just Google, shut up and sit down, review, and the name of the uh, game. All right. What's the address for Google? No, no, not now. All so, right. but yeah, what, what do you guys think of that? You guys like the idea of just January as a nostalgia fest? Or, or four videos where we just play the tentacle game. Just all of January is just yeah January. four different videos. Those are the two options. Yeah, um, submit your under your seat now. Under your seat now, uh, unless you're driving because we couldn't work that out. You will find a buzzer, a buzzer which has an A and a B written on it. Yeah. Hit a if you like the um, first uh, idea. the first idea, and B if you like the second. Uh, you'll also find a pack of uh, complimentary chocolates and. A Magnum 44. Yep. If you don't find all of these things, it means Brendan hasn't got to your house yet. Uh, but don't worry. Leave at least one window unlocked to make his life a bit easier, and uh, he'll be around to your house shortly. With chocolates and a Magnum 44. This was the real benefit of uh, sending out Go Club bags, is we now have everyone's addresses. Yeah. And Brendan's visiting all of you one after another in as terms. a Christmas surprise. Yeah. Uh, so a lot like them. Santa, but slower and younger, <laughs> and just with. 2,000 Magnum 44s. Yeah, dragging them behind him in a and kind of sled. chocolates. Yeah, that's... Uh, we did. We were going to put chocolates mm. in one of the Gold Club bags, weren't we? But um, then we realised that they would just melt and people would open up what looked like bags full of faecal matter at the <laughs> other end. Yeah, that was an actual problem. That first of all, we were looking at the ingredients on some of these things and wondering if people could eat them and then just wondering what happens if they get squished. Yeah. Which and means now erupt. in my attic, I actually, and this isn't a joke. No, I have, it's not a I joke. I have 2,000 sweets, um, which uh, I am very slowly working through. I have about two a day. 2,000? What are they? Aniseed blackjacks? Yeah, they're aniseed blackjacks, yeah. Well, that's uh, a thing that we've never revealed to people before. Oh, but, it's out there now. But that's the, the truth. People want to know what happens behind the scenes, don't they? <laughs> it's that. That's what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's yeah. 2,000 sweets in a box. Um, so people should also uh, yeah if you have another idea for how we should revisit old board games and uh, they should actually do that because I don't know it's worthwhile uh, board games unlike video games are evergreen and shut up and sit down has never really come up with a policy for using that evergreen hobby you know we review something new every week but you know what we don't get to play enough Seven Wonders I would love to spend a month just really digging into Mage Wars I think Matt 
uh, on our team was saying like it would be great if we could play these games we recommend more and you know, do not strategy articles necessarily, but revisit I, them. Yeah, look at the look at the version that has expansion is slightly yeah. different. What I mean, I bet add? if you play Seven Wonders every week for two months, you'll have a very different article to write about it than if you know you and I like play it three times and then review it. Blimey, I think. Although maybe I'll just get annoyed because look what happens when I write about Netrunner every week. I get furious. Do you? Uh, I played Netrunner in Canada as well. I had fun. Did you? I won a game and I lost a game. Is that because you were... You, wait, you were playing Nels? No, I was playing Keith in Starlit Citadel. Oh, okay. um, And again, it was it was that thing where, you know, well, I haven't made a deck, but here's a deck. Here's roughly how it works. Here's, here's your runner. And me drawing cards and going, this is interesting. What can I do with this? And it's... it's no, I know that's not supposed to be what I do in the Netrunner community. I'm supposed to burst in and talk about all my deck ideas. And all that. <laughs> but it works for me. It's fun. It's a clever game. And, it is uh, the thing. I, I forget that it is possible to play Netrunner without going off the deep end and buying custom I think, tokens. Yeah, I America. think it is. And I, I would encourage any Netrunner players out there who are really big fans to just occasionally play with other friends who are not so invested because I think the other friend will have a really good time anyway and you'll have a good time and just... Playing that runner, it's good. There you go. It's good. All right, it's fun. We should uh, we should set up the game that we're pl- Brendan and Pip will be here soon, and we're we're playing. Um, what are we playing with them? We're playing Lords of Zidit. Zidit, and uh, we're playing uh, Falling, the cheap ass games uh, classic, and we'll probably oh. squeeze in some time for. Uh, oh, what have you played that one? No, I remember seeing it a long time ago. Somewhere, it's a game about, a game about falling. Are you ready to fall? No. Here we go. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.